Well, good morning, everybody. Great that you could join us again. That beautiful song, Stand in Your Love. What a great message in that song. And Paul's been talking about in the book of Philippians as we continue to journey through chapter 3. It's an incredible chapter. And I want to remind you, he's been talking about uh, the power of Christ, forgetting those things which are behind. We talked about that two weeks ago, that if you're going to come back from your setback, you've got to move forward. You can't look behind. So the power of the gospel about pressing on into a relationship, Paul talked about two weeks ago. So today we're going to continue in Philippians chapter 3 verses 17 through 19, and always remember that context is king. Uh, Location, 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 I've said that before, is what they say in real estate, but it's the same thing when you're studying scripture. So today, I I just want you to be encouraged. We're we're seeing things changing a little bit with this virus, and, and there's some loosening of restrictions, but what I want us to understand is there been a loosening of restrictions in our lives that Jesus Christ is all powerful in our lives and so he's wanting to operate in and through us. So Paul today in chapter 3 verses 17 through 19 talks about dual citizenship. Dual citizenship. I hold in my hand a passport. This passport says that I am a US citizen. And I can use this passport If I go state to state, I don't have to use this passport. I'm okay with doing that as a U.S. citizen. But as soon as I leave the states and set my foot on foreign soil, that's when I need this passport. And I have to check in and say, this gives me the right. This is my visa to get me into another country. Paul's talking about a forever passport. This passport needs renewal. Every 10 years or so, you have to renew this passport. But Paul's talking about having dual citizenship. In other words, we live on Houston soil, that's the earth, but our home is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven, although we have our feet on earth. And so our behavior is different. We act differently. We live differently. I had a friend who was uh, in the military. He was a colonel. And his children were born out of the country. So they held what was called dual citizenship. They were a uh, citizen of Germany, but they were also a citizen of the United States. So they had dual citizenship. But they were told as they grew up at the age of 20, you need to make a decision which world you're going to live in. And and so they had to make a decision because you can't live in two worlds at the same time. The idea is the same thing that Paul's saying. You you may have uh, your feet on the soil in Houston, Texas, but your citizenship is in heaven. So go ahead and define which world you're going to live in. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. It does matter how we live. That's what Paul's saying. Here's what the text says. Chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe or note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, 
But our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll cover verse 20 next week, but I wanted to read that in this week. So verses 17 through 19 talks about living in two worlds. It's the idea, if you will, if you think about this, if you have two canoes and you put one foot in one canoe and another foot in the other canoe, and you try to balance, it doesn't take much to realize you can't stand in those two canoes at the same time. They're going to spread you apart and you're going to fall. The idea is that Paul's talking about you need to operate, although you're not in heaven yet, you're still a citizen of heaven. So you're in heaven on your way to heaven as you have your feet on the soil of Houston, Texas. He said, but there's a way that you should live. Here's what he says. Brethren, join me in following my example. The idea of join me in following my example is what we talked about the week before. That, uh, that we're shoulder to shoulder. Let's do this thing together. We're better together as a faith family. So we, we join in. We, we model. Uh, we ask God to mold us and conform us in his image Together, So Paul's talking about a together for grace relationship. That's what he's talking about. And he told us that Christ is his goal. So his goal is a person. It's a relationship. So he says, join me in following my example. So when you think about this, you think about Jesus early on when he called his disciples. He said, follow me. Uh, so they had to adjust their lives to follow him. So when we trust Jesus as our Savior, and Paul's talking about that Christ is our goal, it's a relationship. We're not following a religion, we're following a person. So the idea of following me, Paul's been telling us for three chapters what it means to be in Christ and what it means to have Christ in you. And so the idea is don't try to be like Christ because uh, the goal of Christ's likeness when we think about it, oh, just be like Christ. Well, Christ didn't lie. How have you done on that one? Christ said to turn the other cheek. Well, we don't always turn the other cheek. Well, Christ said to walk the extra mile, but we're puffing after the first mile. So the goal is not so much to be like Christ, what Paul has been saying in the first three chapters of Philippians. It's saying, let Christ be in you what you can never be for yourself. Let Christ come forth out of your life. That's his goal. Christ is my goal. So when he says, join me in following my example, you know, salvation is me inviting Christ to come into my life. But it's a dual revelation because really the invitation is him to me. It's Christ to me. Hey, come follow me. Uh, partake of my relationship. The power of God that can hold you in your life. It's an invitation to be a participant in the divine life. It's together for grace. So we have to think about when Paul's talking about an example, he's already been talking about following Christ. But there are models of people that we can mimic after, that we can follow after. Paul says, follow after me as I follow after Christ. So we want to model. And Dr. Denny did a great job last week of talking about a pastor as a model, as an example. And that's actually what Paul's talking about today. When he says, follow my example, he's talking about people in their pursuit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what he's talking about. Join me in following my example. So the example would be something to mimic. That's what the word means, and the phrase means to mimic. A mimic doesn't use words, it uses actions. There are a lot of people that have a really good game of talk, but they don't really have a game of walk. 
Paul says it's your walk that makes a difference. It's not what you say, it is what you do. It is how you live. It doesn't matter what you say. Your conduct shows whether you believe the gospel. If you don't believe the gospel, then you can't behave according to the gospel, so you would still be classified as a citizen of the earth realm, the fleshly realm. But when you become a citizen of heaven, you can follow my example, Paul says, because you're mimicking some, You're mimicking me, Paul says, as I follow. Christ. The word mimic means the idea, it's a word, a thing of a mime. I remember when I was a lifeguard, I went downtown to take my training because I had to mimic a trainer, an instructor. So we had all these strokes that we had to learn, backstrokes and forward strokes, all kinds of things in order to get our certification, certification for being a lifeguard. And the idea was that this lifeguard looked at us and says, I want you to mimic me. Do what I do, not what I say, do what I do. Watch me in the water. So the idea is we would mimic him. And so we would pattern our lives after him. He would say, here's the stroke you need to use. Here's how you swim. And we would mimic and we would do exactly. We were following and joining in on the example. That's the idea what Paul is saying here. The problem is many people are mimicking the wrong example. They're, they're going after footwork and footprints of people that they don't need to go after because Paul says, it's my pursuit of Christ that you need to mimic, that I have a heart for Christ. So he's talking about the example. So one of the fundamental principles of an apprenticeship is you learn a skill from someone who is skilled. Listen, Jesus Christ is skilled in everything. He's perfectly God. And so we pattern our life after him. We pursue a relationship with him. But the idea is that we can mimic and we mime other people who are following him. So that's what Paul is talking about here. I couldn't pattern my life after my lifeguard because he wasn't following Jesus, my instructor. But I was mimicking his behavior in order to get the certificate that gave me the right to be a lifeguard. But I have a much higher calling. Paul said last week that it's an upward call that we're after. Notice what he says here in the text. He says, join in following my example. An observer note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. It's the idea that our walk is incredibly important. Our walk, we learn our skill from someone who is skilled. Jesus Christ gives us the power to walk and not to break line, but to stay in line in cover and alignment. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to walk in him so that we can be an example for other people. And we observe other people. The word means to scope out. We spy out. We pay close attention to people who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we mimic them as they follow Christ. So that's what the idea of the word is. It means to walk. The, the idea of walking because we're a dual citizen is we're not walking according to the patterns of the flesh. We're walking according to the pattern of the Spirit. If you've ever been on a cruise before, it'll, they'll be, we'll be able to do this again. You have what is called a mustard drill. And a mustard drill is a drill where you put on your life jacket and they go over emergency procedures with you. It's really incredibly frustrating because you put on this jacket, you strap it on, they tell you where your mustard station is, where you meet with all the people that are strapped on with the life jacket. You can't walk, you can't move, but they tell you once you get in your space to get in perfect cover and alignment 
with the person in front of you and the person inside, uh, beside of you. And the idea of a person who is walking as an example and a pattern is someone who's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in perfect cover and perfect alignment. The person in front of you, when you're in a mustard drill, the person in front of you, the, the instructor cannot see you because you're in perfect alignment. That's the idea it is with Jesus Christ. We don't want people to see us. When we're in perfect cover and alignment in the power of the Holy Spirit and walking as an example, people don't see us, they see him. And when they see him, they have the pattern to walk. As they follow me or you, then they are following Jesus. It's not that we're perfect. It is that we are predictable. Sagemont has always been a faith family whose walk has been much more than their talk. And we want to continue to do this. It doesn't matter what we say. It matters how we live. Behavior is important. There's a version of Christianity out there that says it doesn't matter how you live. And I want to tell you something. That's not Christianity. That is not Christianity at all. It matters how you live. The grace of God that saves us, transforms us, and it not only saves us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but the pattern of sin, our walk is different. We are not perfect. Paul said, hey, I'm still maturing, but we are predictable in our walk. Notice the text. As you have this pattern for us. So the idea is when you walk according to the pattern of Christ in perfect uh, uh, alignment and time and cover, that you and I walk, that we begin to see a specific way that we live, and it is a pattern. The word for pattern means it makes an imprint. It makes an indelible imprint on something's life on someone's life. The idea is this pattern is a striking blow to someone because they see that our life is different. They see that we belong to somebody different. They see that our lives are coming into fruition and we are seeing that we are following after a person. And so our eyes are not on ourselves. We've already crucified ourselves. We've died to ourselves. We've gotten past ourselves so that we can be a pattern for other people. That's what Paul is saying. If you take someone in the military who's a civilian, they go off to basic training and they're a man in sweatshirt and jeans and they go off and they're totally transformed. This experience totally transforms them. They come back wearing a uniform. They have been totally transformed, not only on the outside, but on the inside. That's what Paul is saying here. Because when a person wears a uniform, we wear the garment of Christ. We have new clothes in Jesus Christ. So we act differently because the inside of us, the grace of God has transformed us. And it's not what we say as an example. It's what we do and how we live. Paul says, pattern your life after those who have an indelible imprint for the gospel. A pastor friend of mine uh, had a wealthy, wealthy church member in his congregation. And one day his daughter made an appointment to come in and see my pastor friend. And she came in and she was angry and she was screaming and she was just uh, bitter over all kinds of things. And she says, how do you like that? And she walked out of the office. And it wasn't long after that, that he got a call from her and she was in the hospital strapped to a bed, padded down, and she said, I want to see my friend, my pastor friend. And so he walked into the room, and here's what she said. I hate my father. I hate my mother. You know what she was saying? In her home, they went to church. 
They did all the right things. They said all the right things, but they never imprinted the gospel in their own lives. Therefore, they couldn't influence her for the gospel. Paul's saying that his attitude is different. That you and I make a difference in our lives and in our families by the way that we live, by the way that we treat other people. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 18. Notice what the text says. He's talking about, in verse 17, there's a walk for people who aren't selfish. See, we walk according to the Savior. We don't mimic sin. We mimic the Savior. But the lost world does something different. People that we're trying to reach, it says this in the text. For many walk, same word, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. They are enemies of the cross. So what is the struggle of this group? And and this would be the lost group uh, that Paul's dealing with. He's speaking to mature Christians and the Judaizers, which he dealt with earlier in the chapter of chapter 3. Uh, they're, they're dealing with, they're the legalist of the day. And then he's also dealing with a group in, 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 in several books, even the book of Galatians, the antinomians, and, and, and their flesh is their appetite. And, and so they, he's got the legalist on one end, he's got people under the law on the other. And so he's dealing with all kinds of things. And he's trying to tell these mature believers to continue to walk, continue to be an example, continue to make an imprint and make a blow in somebody's life where they can see that you're different. And he's trying to keep them on the right track, but he's going to tell them what the lost crowd, the people that don't live according to the Savior, but live selfishly. They walk, notice the text, they walk, I have told you often, he's told them often, and now tell you even weeping. It breaks his heart that they walk this way, but they're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of the cross. So what is the struggle of the person in verse 18? What is the struggle of the person who lives according to the temporal, who doesn't live according to the eternal, but lives according to the temporal? What does that person look like? How would this person walk? Here's how they walk. They walk as an enemy of the cross. Notice the text doesn't say they say they're an enemy of the cross. Oh, we always say, oh, this person said this. They're an enemy of the cross. No, what defines an enemy of the cross is the way that they live. Just like it defines one who is a friend of Jesus and one who has understood the high price that was paid because the cross is our connection to God. So whereas we are saved by the grace of God and we understand that we've been crucified by Christ and we died on that cross with him positionally and we now live in him and we have risen according to when he rose from the grave. So when I put my faith in him, I've already, I've died with him and now I'm raised to walk in the newness of life. So the idea is I'm not an enemy of the cross. So I walk as a different example, but the world who has not bowed before the cross and bowed before Jesus, it's not what they say that makes them an enemy. It's how they live. It's the evidence in their life. That's what Paul's saying here. So their struggle is this. They can't get past themselves. That's what an enemy of the cross is. Someone who can't get past themselves. Somebody who lives for themselves. See, we've already gotten past ourselves in verse 17. We know that we can't do anything apart from Jesus Christ. So we're not living for the flesh. We're not living for self. We're not living to gratify the fleshly desires. We're living to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. But the world, who's an enemy of the cross, they live for themselves. So our message at Sagemont is to tell people, you don't have to live for yourself. Because everything you're going after 
is not what you really want. Because when you get what you think you want, you really don't want it. You want to return it. But in Jesus Christ, we can tell you, you can have a relationship with him. And he can kill selfishness in your life. And you don't have to be an enemy of the cross anymore. So Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. If the world is an enemy of the cross, if someone who lives a, a temporal lifestyle, one that is not eternal but temporal, if they don't live for the line, which is eternity, but they just live for the dot, which is their earthly life and whatever time they have here, that they're an enemy of the cross. Well, Paul has a different way of explaining the cross. Look what's happened. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Here's what Paul says. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What Paul says is, listen, the enemies of the cross, it's not what they say, it's how they live. See, what's, what's more important than what you say is how you live, but they have a hatred for the cross. The word enemy means they have a hatred for the cross. Paul says, wait a minute. You can move from a temporal world to an eternal world, from a life with no purpose to a life of purpose by embracing the cross. Paul says, I boast in anything, I don't boast in anything but the cross. The message of the cross is the only message and gospel that we have. That's what he says in Galatians. If I'm going to glory in anything, I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Because what Paul, it says here that he was crucified, this is the cross of Jesus, 614, he was crucified, it says, to the world. The world has been crucified to me. Because of the cross, Paul says, his influence, the world of Judaism, the world of the law, the world of religion, the world of flesh, it's been crucified to me. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I have severed my state with the world. And at the moment of salvation, you and I have severed our lives from the religious world. And so did Paul. We've severed our lives. And he says this in the text. And I to the world at the end of verse 14. So he has no more delight in the world. He said in uh, Philippians 3.8, I've counted all things as loss, religion as loss. So he's talking about being crucified. He said, hey, the people that are enemies of this uh, cross are people whom Jesus died for. He has a purpose for. He has a plan for. And he said, but I want to tell you, I'm not an enemy of the cross anymore. I used to think that religion was my gain. He said, I have counted all things as loss. Christ is my life. Christ is is my attitude. Christ is my goal. I am not an enemy of the cross. I will boast in the cross. I will glory in the cross. I will not grieve in the cross. I will glory in the cross where Jesus died. The cross is my connection to God. That's why I can be an example. Oh, what a beautiful thing Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I get my identification. Uh, I'm calling your attention to something. My identification is in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not in myself anymore. I'm not living for myself. I'm living for my Savior. Let me ask you, what world have you been severed from? When you got saved, if you've truly trusted Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, what world were you severed from? The world of sin, the world of trying to gratify your flesh. Um, you and I have the recognition that we have now is, is the glory in the cross, not recognition that comes to us. 
It's the glory in the cross. And so you and I, just like Paul, have parted ways with the world. Verse 17 are those who are walking as examples. Verse 18 are those who are walking as enemies of the cross. But we have the message. By the way that we live, we can tell them, you can walk one way, but now you can walk this way because of what Jesus Christ has done. Notice what he says in verse 19. Go back to Philippians. Verse 19. Here's what he says. Whose end, these enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. This, these are the characteristics of someone who is lost. This is the lost crowd. This is the crowd that we're trying to reach because of the way that we live. We're living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And, and, and Paul is saying, listen, it's important that you live this way. It's important that you be a model. Dr. Denny talked about that last week. That goes for all of us. We should be a model citizen of the kingdom. Listen, this is not my home. I have my feet on earthly soil, but this is not my home. I am living as a citizen of the king. I do not have to go to the world to satisfy my needs. My needs have all been met in Jesus Christ. And that can happen to you today if you'll trust him, if you'll believe in him. Look at the text, verse 19. Whose end is destruction. That's what the text says. So the people that live as enemies of the cross, they, they will come into an eternal death. It will be separation for God forever. They will not cease to exist. Their lives as they live for the flesh and they live for themselves will be wasted. They will suffer loss. There will be ruin forever and forever and forever. And they will always stand as enemies of the cross. Listen, the problem is not the pain of hell, it's the length of hell. And hell is a real place. So this is how important it is that we live a life that's worthy of the call of Jesus Christ. Because we can tell people, listen, you don't have to be eternally destructed. You don't have to live eternally separated from God. There is an escape. There is a way. It's a narrow way, but there is a way. It would be like this. If you think about the person who is going to end their life in destruction, it's eternal destruction. It would be like a building being on fire. If a building was on fire and there were many exit signs in the building, people would say, well, I'll just take any of the exits to get out of the building so that I won't be caught in the fire. But there would be some people who don't believe in the fire. They don't believe in sin. They don't believe that sin separates them from God. So there would be people in the building that would say, hey, there's no fire. I'm, I'm not lost. I, I'm completely depending on myself and my power and my own strength. They would say that. They, and then there's a second group that would say, I'll find my way out of the fire. I can handle it. I'll do this myself. I'll find my way out of the fire myself. Then there would be a third type of person that would say, there's a fire, and they would look at all the exits, and they would say, there's many ways out of here. There's many exits out of here. But then the person would come along who built the building and knows the exits and the hallway, and all exits lead to one hallway, which leads to one exit out of the building. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying. I am the one way out of the fire and out of eternal destruction and out of the building and narrow is the way that leads to me. Broad is the way that everybody else is going to go. They don't even think there's a fire going on. But listen, the text says 
that our mission is to tell people that you don't have to live eternally separated from God. Their end is destruction. So it's not the time of their point of death, it's the length of their death, forever and forever and forever. So we have a great opportunity at Sagemont. In Sagemont part two, as the Lord would confirm the call of uh, Pastor Matt Carter coming here for the city, that we continue to do ministry across the aisle, which, which we'll be able to do again sometime soon, hopefully, across the street and across the world. That's our mission. We live as examples. We tell people you don't have to spend eternity separated from God. Look at the text. Who's got, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. What Paul is talking about is people who don't know Jesus, everything is temporal. It's not eternal. Nothing within the belly or the cavity of the flesh is eternal. And the idea of the word belly here and the God of the belly is the idea that it's an appetite. It's a desire for the flesh. It's an appetite. A person that's lost that doesn't know Jesus has an appetite to fulfill their dreams with their selfish ways because they're looking out for number one. They have to get more. They have to get a bigger house, a better car, a, 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 a bigger something, a bigger salary, something like that. It's more, more, more. And what happens is this fleshly desire that drives them never satisfies them. Only Jesus satisfies. So the God of this belly, the appetite that drives people to get more and more and more and more material things, whether it's greed, whether it's an appetite for other things, it becomes their God. And so the idea is they boast about the things that they should be ashamed of. But Paul talks about the God of this belly. He talks about the, the idea is that the material possessions, the material things, this world that we live in, everybody wants more and more and more and more and more stuff. And then they want to stand in the line and return all the stuff that they said they had to have. Here's the beauty of the gospel. When you receive the gift of salvation, free gift, where Jesus paid for it all, on the cross of Calvary. And Paul says, I boast in that cross. When you receive that, you have everything you need. He satisfies you and he satisfies me. Just give me Jesus. Fernando Ortega, I think saying that's just give me Jesus. That's the beautiful thing about it. So the idea is this world wants more. Their belly is their God. More and more and more. Fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, but I'm still empty. Then he says here, the last part, he says, and whose glory is in their shame. The word glory means recognition. They, they, the things that they should be ashamed of, they glory in. The word recognition means when I get glory, I get recognition. So when you live for yourself as an enemy of the cross, you look for people to give you attention. You look for all the attention to come your way. And everybody's looking at you because all the glory goes to you. You can just open up your phone and say, hey, all the glory goes to me. And the idea is, Paul says, they, the things that they should be ashamed of, they actually glory in. But we as people who boast in the cross, the glories of the cross, we say our destiny is in Jesus Christ where their destruction is in the kingdom of this world. So they should be ashamed of the things that they glory in. So here's what Paul's talking about here. Think about this. Think about people that glory and boast in abortion, in killing babies. They glory and they boast in this. And it's the, by the way they live. It's not what they say. It's by the way that they live. 
But listen, that is something that breaks the heart of God. That is something not to glory in. We glory in Christ. We glory in the one who created life and gave life. So the very things that they should be ashamed of, they glory in. But watch this. When you change teams and your talk moves into a walk in a relationship, your glory changes. You begin to glory in Christ. You begin to boast in the cross. You begin to give all glory to Jesus. And the idea is that Jesus Christ wants all of you. Think about this. Jesus Christ, when you glory, they glory in their shame. The idea is here that people glory in their sin. And here's what we do. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, listen to this. Here's what God wants you to give him. Your sin. Just give him your sin. He's already paid for it on the cross of Calvary. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Jesus said, just give me your sin. You're glorying in your shame. Just give me the things that you glory in. Give me yourself. Give me your sin. And here's what he says. In exchange, I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you an eternal passport that never has to be renewed because you're coming into a love relationship with me. You just give me your sin and give me yourself and I'll give you the gift of righteousness. You don't have to glory in your stuff and your things and the things you should be ashamed of. You can now glory in me. You can, now, you can be a reflector. If you, get, if you ever say anything good about me, I want to tell you it's where Jesus Christ has killed my flesh. And I just want to be a reflector of him. And I, if you say something good in me, it's where God is only good in me. And so we just are reflectors. We just reflect glory back to him. The last thing Paul says, and I'll close with this. Here's what he says. In their minds, look at the text here. They glory in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. Paul's attitude was one of let Christ be your attitude. Totally different. The contrast of not saying you believe in Jesus, but walking in that belief. Your behavior lets people know you're a citizen and your conduct matches your citizenship. So the idea is, Paul said, the lost world, they set their mind on earthly things. That's all they see is earthly things. But we set our minds on the things that are above. That's what we do. I remember Astroworld many years ago. We had what were called at Astroworld, they were called taxi cars. And these taxi cars had a rail right in the middle of them. If you remember it, you could get on there as a little kid. It had a steering wheel, but all taxi cars were guided by the rail that was in the middle of the track. You could turn right, you could turn left, you could spin around, you didn't even have to hold the wheel because the rail kept you exactly where you needed to be. What Paul is saying in verse 19 is the rail of selfishness keeps people exactly where they are and not where they need to be, but that's what they live in as enemies of the cross. And Jesus Christ wants to remove the rail so that he can put his power and his life in you so that you can turn and move according to a relationship with him, not a rail, not a stale rail, but the power of God working in and through your life. So Paul says in verse 19, who set their mind 
on earthly things. What Paul's saying in verses 18 and 19 is these people that are lost, that don't know Christ, they sound impressive. They have a platform. The platform is themselves, but they will suffer in the end and they are leading up for others to the same shame. They live in their sin, their sin lives in them, and they continue to try to be free when they can't become free unless they know the one who has paid the ultimate price for freedom and gives them their power. Years ago, I had a membership at Gold's Gym. Probably still have it. Don't laugh. Some of you are paying for a membership you don't use either. But I remember I had what was called a trainer or a spotter. And we would go lift weights. And every time we would start out kind of slow. I had a trainer named Gary and then a friend of mine named Sammy. And we would get on the bench press and we would lay that bar. And all of a sudden they would go over and put a few round things on the end of the bar over here and over here. And they would add a bunch of round things to the bar. And I would look and say, I can't do this. I can't do, there's no way I can lift this. I'm not going to hurt myself. Take some things off the bar. But they were trying to tell me, you can do it. You pay somebody to be a trainer in order to be mean to you, to tell you that you can do what you don't think you can do. And so when you get under there and you finally get the ability and the strength and the muster to go ahead and say, I'll try this, what happens is you begin to push that weight bar up. And you get it up like this and you kind of think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of cocky now. And, and I did it. I finally did it. I listened to my spotter. And then out of the corner of your eye, you look and notice there's a couple of fingers that are helping prop up that bar. And the strength of the spotter with two fingers is, you don't realize it till you look to the right, but that spotter is transferring his power over to you so that you can pick up the bar. Now listen to me. In Jesus Christ, he is not a spotter that stands on the outside of our life with two fingers and transfers his power. He is the one, Paul says, that comes into your life. The grace of God transforms us. The grace of God saves us. It saves us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the pattern of sin. And he doesn't do this by spotting us on the outside and giving us a little bit of his power. He does it by transferring all of his power on the inside of a life like mine. Christ in me, Christ in you, for the glory, not of ourselves, for the glory of him. Some of you are struggling in your life because it's your power that you're living with. I want to ask you, would you be willing today to bow before Jesus Christ, receive him into your life, so that you can have all power, not on the outside of you, but on the inside of you. And then your walk in your family, your walk in your marriage, your walk in your job is not about your power. It's about his power and your surrender to him. Would you do that wherever you are today? Would you receive Jesus Christ as your savior by confessing your sin, acknowledging that you've missed the mark, acknowledging that you need him, that I need Jesus today and I want to trust him and you can receive the free gift of salvation. Just call upon the Lord. He said he'd save you. Would you do that where you are? Let's pray. Father, we come. We thank you for this message that we can live as citizens 
of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Jesus is the king of the kingdom and he can live in us. I pray for people that need to experience a new life in Jesus Christ. Yet say yes to him where you are. Experience the power of his life. Confess your sins to him. For those of you that have already done that, would you quit mimicking the wrong type of example? Would you mimic the passion that Paul had to pursue Christ and follow those who were pursuing that same passion? Not with what you say, but how you live. God wants to transform your life for his good and for his glory. We love you at Sagemont. God bless you. Do whatever God tells you to do. Say yes to him in obedience. Thank you.